I know you've met some of our folks already, but um, there's some you haven't met. Um, this is Nathan Covington. You know, I, I remember at, at district assemblies when they introduced people, it's always doctor. Remember that? Yeah. 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 It's not. It's not. Okay. Um, Julian and I had uh, opportunity to uh, have dinner with uh, Nathan last night and uh, just got a sense of uh, how God's been using him in the past. And, of course, we don't know what God's going to do among us this week, but we believe he's going to do something. Amen. And um, we're excited about that. Um, So good to have you with us. May God's blessing and anointing rest upon you as you open the word to us today. If you uh, brought a Bible or if it's on your phone or your tablet, would you turn with me to the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, chapter 47. And I want to read some verses there as a basis for the things that um, the Lord wants me to share with you. Ezekiel, chapter 47. Now, sometimes I'll have PowerPoint up there, but I don't, I don't have that this morning. I, um, I just want you to listen. I don't want you to be distracted. Oh, what did he say in that last point? <laughs> okay. The Lord wants to talk to us. And uh, he knows how to do that without PowerPoint. Okay. So, <laughs> he's just really adaptable. <laughs> if you found that, Ezekiel chapter 47. Would you stand with me out of reverence for the word? The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out to the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim him. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows... Everything will live. You may be seated. Here was the prophet Ezekiel in Babylon, dreaming of his homeland back across the desert. He had lived now 25 years in exile in Babylon. The flame and the passion of his patriotism was burning as brightly as it had that awful day when Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers rounded them all up and marched them out through the gates of Jerusalem. How vividly he remembered it. That painful hour, the the parting, the, the last glimpse of the city of God before the road rounded in the bend and hid it from his eyes. Forever. Twenty-five years had gone by. But the very ruins and the rubble of that once magnificent temple where he had ministered as a young priest. The city's wrecked battlements, its burned out buildings, its deserted streets still drew his heart like a magnet. 
Now, that's the background of this great sequence of visions at the close of Ezekiel's book. They came to him on the anniversary day of the destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar's armies. And at the beginning of chapter 40, the prophet is careful to give the precise date of the final series of visions. It was on the anniversary of Judah's darkest hour. If you have any sorrow-laden commemorative days of your own, then, then you can understand the feelings that he's expressing here. But what, what happened? Suddenly, as though it's a dream, he's caught up by the Spirit of the Lord and he feels himself transported beyond the western wilderness. He's back in his beloved Judah. He's standing again on the rugged rock of Zion. He sees the city spread out in front of him, no longer wretched, no longer shattered, no longer deserted, but splendid and stately and filled with people. And he sees the temple resurrected from its ruins. With a magnificence that, that far exceeds the dreams of Solomon. And he sees the glory of the Lord which had departed on that evil day. Coming back ten times more glorious. And he sees the river. Now, there's so much here. We could spend weeks and months in that. But, but I, I, it's the feature of the river that I want us to focus our attention on today. That, that river rising on the temple rock beneath the very altar of God, descending to the, plain, uh, to the plain, going across the desert, deepening and expanding as it went eastward from Jerusalem. And it flows through that burning, blistered wilderness, bringing healing and, and life and, and fertility bursting like a mighty rushing torrent into the Dead Sea, sweetening even those salty, brackish waters. Everything will live where the river flows. Now, there are, there are Bible scholars and commentators who have tried to tell us that this whole picture that Ezekiel gives us here, is geographically impossible. How, they ask, could, could the river rise beneath the altar? How, in the absence of any tributaries, could it deepen so rapidly that with a mile and a half of its source, it's impossible to cross? Waters to swim in, as Ezekiel describes it. How could it get past that steep limestone ridge that separates Jerusalem on the east from the Dead Sea, defying the physiographical conjure of the land as though those great mountain barriers didn't exist? Now, these questions over which prosaic commentators shake their solemn heads never really trouble Ezekiel. I remember one of our colleagues, Prof. Thaner, too, and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, read the Bible. It sheds a lot of light on commentaries. <laughs> And, and, and so how blind can we be? You, you see, you have to approach the Bible with a sense of reverence or it will never reveal its secrets to you. And as Ezekiel looks at this vision, he has far more urgent business on his mind and heart than the details of geography. Because he knows that that river is the symbol of the Spirit of God that flows from the heart of God and whose course is set by God alone. This river is a symbol of the great stream of supernatural grace given by God to fertilize the thirsty and haggard world. It's the symbol of that soul-refreshing experience for lack of which multitudes today are going through life restless and frustrated and dissatisfied and thirsty for what they don't know what and looking in all the wrong directions. This is that surge of power of the Holy Spirit pouring out across the barren scene of human misery and corruption and sin and death and giving healing and hope and renewal of life because everything will live where the river flows. I mean, even if it's not specifically mentioned anywhere in this passage, it's evident that this is a symbol of the operation of the Holy Spirit. 
And is there anything we need more, folks, this morning? I mean, anything this wounded world needs more for these healings and her? Any, anything that a faltering and impotent church needs more for the revitalizing of its faith? Anything that our own dull and defeated, uh, our conventionally religious lives need more to make them alert and dynamic and victorious than a fresh new baptism with the Holy Spirit? It's what brings life. Now, there's a great deal of symbolism here in this prophetic vision. And, and I just want us to look at two or three things to just give us some food for thought. Because I, I'm, I'm really, and God is really kind of just setting the groundwork for what he wants to do this week in our lives. You will notice first that, that the river came down from the heights. The stream, which was to irrigate the plain and fertilize the desert, had its source way up in the rugged hills of Zion. Now, do you understand what that's telling us for today? I was listening to Pastor's prayer, and he was praying so truthfully. Our world is in a mess. But this passage of Scripture just blesses my soul and gives me Hope. You see, stated simply, it's this. God alone can give the power to make a better world, a better church, a better life. Down from the heights of the divine has to come that inrush of creative energy or all else of our plans are in vain. I mean, the Bible states it clearly. Except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Who build it? Now, that sounds like an oxymoron. Because first of all, it sounds like God builds the house. Then it sounds like we build the house. Now, what did the inspired writer mean? Well, you see, God's an architect. And I can relate to that. Our son's an architect. Okay. And God's an architect. And we're the builders. But you can never build what God doesn't design. And we're so busy trying to do that. I mean, we, we, we hear what somebody else is doing in some other fellowship somewhere else, and, and we'll go over there, and we'll, and they're just all too ready to sell us CDs and cassettes and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I remember at one of the PowCons, it's been probably three PowCons ago now, Pastors and Leadership Conference, where all of us religious leaders go, you know, for a few days. One of the, one of the Nazarene pub house guys told me that, that Nazarene pastors and laymen bought $750,000 worth of one of those man's material. I don't know if it worked, but it made him rich. <laughs> in fact, I know it didn't work because I'm in a lot of pastor studies and I see it on the shelf stuck up there in the folders, you know. I mean, now don't misunderstand me. I think we can learn from other people who are doing things. But you see, the truth is, God has a plan for every local church. And unless God plans that, you're never going to carry it out. I mean, you can work and do all your energy and all your creativity. But God has a plan. I pastored for 16 years before God called me to be an evangelist 32 years ago now. And in one of my pastorates, I, I mean, God was so good to Lynn and I. Just when we pastored, everything just we touched just turned to gold. And then we went to this place. And it had a split before we got there over an educational unit. And I had six consecutive years of less in Sunday school and membership than the year before. Now, that will bless your heart. It will make you want to go to this assembly and report. It will bless your DS's heart. And I tried everything that had worked in all those other places. And one day, I literally threw my hands up in the air in my study. And I said, I don't know what else to do. And it was like the Lord said, I thought you'd never get here. I have a plan. And over the next two years, he took us on the most incredible prayer journey. That I had ever been in my life. It totally changed my understanding of prayer and the role that it's supposed to do. I mean, God just transformed us. And, and, and marriages began to be healed and, and, and young people began to get off drugs and, and people began to get saved and, and now, 
pastor can relate to this. You know, across the years when you're pastoring, you, everyone's well, you try to have calling programs, and you, you plan those and you organize those. And, and on the first night, there's 20, and then as the weeks go by, there's 12, and there's two, and then there's you. <laughs> but, but we began to pray, and, and one Wednesday night, one of our ladies was praying, and I, I don't want to spend too long with this, it's kind of a little detailed side, side road, but, but she just burst into tears when she was praying for a lost neighbor. And from that week on, there were never any more dry eyes when we prayed for the lost. God just broke our heart. And one day God said to me, Nathan, you and your people are doing all the right things, but there's no hunger. And there's nothing more discouraging than going knocking on a door and hearing the same excuses or the same lies for why they're not going to come. But he said, I'm the only one who can create a hunger. And he gave me an illustration. He said, you know, Nathan, if, 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 if your wife fixes a steak and a salad and a baked potato for supper, but if you've been eating a bag of potato chips over at the church office, you just... Dabble around with that. But if you've been fasting for three days, even a blowny sandwich looks really good. <laughs> and he said, so I want you to begin to pray for a hunger to fall on this city. Now, I want you to pray for your responsibility list, but I don't want you to be selfish. I want you to pray for the whole city. And we began to do that. And... And, and people out on the fringes of the church began to call my layman. They got so many calls, they organized their own calling program on Thursday night without me having to be there. And I watched the pattern over the weeks. We, we would meet on Wednesday night. I mean, Wednesday night was prayer meeting for us. I mean, prayer meeting. We went down into our fellowship hall. And we sat around long tables and we just prayed. And God welded us into this incredible powerful you know and so the pattern got to be that we would pray on Wednesday night some of those would get visited on Thursday night and they would get saved the following Sunday morning I watched this happen week after week after week and I said to God now Lord you've you've been teaching me that that there are laws that govern the spiritual world like there are laws that govern the universe it's obvious to me we've hit one of those what have we done and he took me to that passage in the Old Testament it says they that go forth bearing precious seed in tears shall doubtless come again rejoicing bringing their sheaves with them it wasn't until God broke our hearts that he trusted us you don't put babies in a refrigerator you put them in an incubator <clears throat> you see there has there has to be an atmosphere. There has to be a warmth. There has to be a receptivity. I mean, you got to know what to do with them when they get there. And so I, I'm just telling you that it doesn't matter how dark it appeared to be. God, the Holy Ghost, has been telling me that he is coming to bring a revival to this country. Now, I will be honest with you and tell you that I think there are going to be some very dark days before that comes. If you're paying attention, persecution is beginning to come. And I think a lot more of it is going to come before the Lord breaks in. He's always used persecution, folks, to purify the church. And you pray for revival to come to America. Well, if you've been around the church any length of time, you know what the formula for revival is. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Uh, I've had people saying to me across the country, Brother Cummington, we're praying. We're praying. God's not responding. And I'm saying, well, hello. Second Chronicles 7.14 is a covenant relationship. You don't get the goods till you do all the covenant. And I said, the truth is, the church of Jesus Christ in America doesn't think it's wicked. It's like the Laodicean church. We, we, 
We, we think we're in need of nothing when the truth is we're blind and naked and miserable. As God looks at things. But he's going to come. And, and, and this is what Ezekiel is saying here. I mean, just look at this. So much of our planning today is on the purely human level. It's still stubbornly believing, despite of all the evidence to the contrary, that man is the master of his fate and the sole architect of his destiny, and that human ideals like a little more goodwill, a little more knowledge, some more education, some better understanding of social sciences, some conservation, some group dynamics, some decent housing, some economic reorganization, that all of these by and of themselves can somehow transform the desert of America that we know into the garden of the Lord. And we bring a lot of those same things into the processes of the church. Church growth and soul winning and, and if we only better understood baby boomers and baby busters and generation X. We have names for all of you, you know. Or if we could do certain worship styles or if we could just develop some new program. Now, I, I, I want to be fair with the vast amount of planning that's going on today and the church growth seminars and the Gallup and Barnum polls and the music styles. We can use those. But folks, we must never ever forget the river that comes down from the heights. Unless it empowers those and blesses them and anoints them, they will only do what flesh can do. But do you realize what God has asked us to do? He's asked us to raise up an army like Ezekiel saw in that vision out of a valley of dry bones. They're dead in trespasses and sin out there. We're having revival this week. Do you know what? Most of them don't give a hoot. We're not being persecuted for the most part yet. We're just being ignored. But I believe God wants to do something about that. See, it was the clear realization of this river from the heights which provided the spiritual dynamite to turn the world upside down in the early days of the church. I mean, they fairly, they fairly stammer with excitement when they try to describe it. They, they were just literally consumed with eagerness to share it. Are you? And the good news is that it's still true. It's true for this broken and frustrated world. It's true for the church so often puzzled by its seeming lack of impact on society. It's true for the most despairing and defeated soul among us. There's this wonderful news of Pentecost. The power is still there for you and me and for all the world. The very power in which Jesus and the apostles lived. Do you realize... The scripture says that the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Think about that. Are we living like that? Are we walking in that kind of anointing and power? It's our privilege. It's there. And see, there's only one requirement in order for our hearts to receive it, and that is we, we have to really desire it. We have to want it. We have to make a surrender to the will of Christ. We have to make a decisive self-commitment. And we have to make that commitment as individuals, and we have to make it as a body of believers together. See, Ezekiel saw that river of life descending from the heights to the thirsty plain. Now, what's the symbol of that? Well, it means, this ought to encourage us, it means that the church, for all its glaring, disconcerting faults, is still the instrument that God intends to use to rebuild the world. It's plan A and there is no plan B. And the men and women of the early church, they knew this. The whole church was throbbing with the glow of its mission. These men and women were facing the world with good news, not with good advice. They were not so busy with techniques of service that they had no time for worship and wonder and adoration. They were not a mildly benevolent human agency with pious good intentions toward their fellow men. They were a conquering divine society with a magnificent vitality, exhilarating, alive with the very spirit of the living Christ. And it's why they rejuvenated that old world. If you think our world is bad, you go back and look at Roman history. It was bad news, folk. 
And do you realize how God began the church? Now, I don't mean to be sacrilegious here, but the pastor was on the cross. All the board members had fled. About the only thing was there was a few women of the missionary society. (laughs) And out of that brokenness, God created the church that literally shook the Roman world. There's nothing so wrong with our world or our impotent churches that God, the Holy Ghost, cannot fill and rejuvenate and empower. And what about us? I mean, I mean, does God expect any less of us? I don't think so. It's still our responsibility to provide the young women needed to go into all the world. You know, I, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm concerned about the church. I'll tell you why. Now, some of you are old enough, maybe to get the P&B Pensions and Benevolence magazine. About three things ago, there was a graph in there. It just shook me. Because it was, it was taken in 2015. It was a survey of the ages of all the pastors in North American Canada. Over 800 and some are in their 65 to 70 age bracket. 700 some come down in 60 to 65. 500 and some fit in the 50 to 60 bracket. And then it just starts dropping exponentially until... You know how many pastors 30 years of age are pastoring churches in the United States and Canada? 39. Do you understand what I've just said? Now, it would help you if I had the graph up there. In less than 15 years, half of our churches will have no pastor. Or they'll be, they'll be pastoring multiple congregations. Now, folks, I don't think God is speaking any less. Well, I want to tell you. God got a hold of my heart with that graph, and, and <clears throat> I did something I haven't done. I, I went back to the city. I haven't been back in 55 years to the city, through the little Wesleyan Methodist Church, where I was attending when God called me to preach. It's not a church anymore. They have a nicer facility. But, but I sit in the parking lot of that old church and talk to God and reminisce and say, what, what was it about this church that made it easy for us as young people to answer the call of God. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm going to do here. But just take a look around your congregation. Unless something happens, folks... is not going to be here. The good news is something can happen. It's what I think God wants us to understand this week. Something can happen. It's not so dark that God the Holy Ghost cannot pour himself out on this place and bring a genuine Holy Ghost revival. But we're going to have to get in earnest about wanting it. And walking in obedience to what God's asking us to do. And there's one more feature of this vision that I want us to look at. Did you notice how Ezekiel's river deepened? Water to the ankles, to the knees, to the waist, and then water to swim in. Now, now what's the symbolism of that? Well, just stated simply that there's something wrong with our religious experience if it's not an ever-deepening tide. Within a mile and a half of the source, the Zika River was too deep for any crossing. A mile and a half. Let's play a little analogy game this morning. Let's say that for every year you've been a Christian, there's a mile of river. 
What is that? What does that river look like? For some of you, if I were to take this mic and just go down there and interview, you'd say, "Oh, brother Compton, the water is deep." Just this morning, God and I were together. And his presence is so real in my life. But the truth is, some of you would probably have to say, well, Brother Covington, there's there's a riverbed there. You you can see where the water used to be. But... But to be honest about it, it's it's just kind of a little trickle. It's there, the water's there, but it's it just trickles. And there might even some of us have to. I mean, if God, we just really got honest with God, we would have to say, "Brother Compton, the channel is there, but the riverbed is dry. You can see where it used to be." You can see where there was once spiritual vitality and power and glory. It's just a dry riverbed. My Uncle Wayne and Aunt Stella had a farm outside Columbus, Kansas. Typical picture of a farm for me when I was a kid growing up. Two-story, white frame house. Cows and chickens and Horses and dogs and cats and a creek. And my brother and I, who's four years older, we, we like to go down to the creek. But, but in the summer, um, the creek bed would just be, there'd be little pools of stagnant water and, and green moss growing on it. And there would be tin cans and broken beer bottles and from picnics people had along the thing and chunked it and then Stella wouldn't let us go down there and swim because she's barefoot and in some places wouldn't even, sometimes when we'd go in the summer and stay with them it wasn't even deep enough to swim but then in the fall it would rain maybe four or five miles Upstream, they'd have what we called a gully washer back then. Get about six inches of rain in an hour. And this wall of water would come sweeping down through that and toss those trees like they were matchsticks and, and, and just sweep the cans and the bottles and, and all of that. Just All that rubbish. And then you could go down there and there'd be these deep pools of water, crystal clear. And you could go fishing and you could swim. You know, I, I have a gutsy feeling some of, some of our spiritual lives are, are like that creek. There's rubbish. We picked up garbage along the way. We get wounded. And we have relationships that, that go sour. We pick up wounds and hurts and disappointments. But revival is an opportunity for the gully washer to come. The rain of the Spirit just flowing down across us again revitalizing and renewing and intensifying our passion and bringing back our zeal filling our heart with a yearning for our families and our neighbors and the guys and girls we work with to know Jesus Christ you see let me ask you Simple how's the river? From the dried up channels of the soul, 
can come again the deep sound of deep water and the rising tide. It's wonderful to know. I mean, God has designed the Christian life so that even if you got saved when you were four years old and you lived to be a hundred, you can still have what I call an aha moment every now and then. You know, I mean, you're reading the Word, you know, and you've read that a hundred times. But all of a sudden on that morning, it just lights up like a neon light. Ah! That's the answer to the question. That's what I've been wondering. This is what God wants me to do. Or, this is what He does not want me to do. And I really believe what that God would just like to send an old-fashioned gully washer here to Longmont Church of the Nazarene this week. And if we could just, if we could just open up our, if we could just admit how dry we really are, not pretend. I mean, folks, we know how to do church. Okay. We know how to do church. We, we know about revivals. Some of us have literally grown up in them. But, but in all honesty, wouldn't, wouldn't you really like for God to just pour His Spirit out on this place and on your life? He said, Brother Compton, you you don't know the obstacles. No, but I know God. And He decides where the river flows. And every place the river flows, life springs into being. There isn't anything too hard. It's not beyond God, the Holy Ghost, power to bring a gully washer here in the 21st century. He just needs hearts that are willing and hungry and open. So I want you to stand with me. And and could somebody slip the idea out the guitar? That'd be great. Or you the 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 piano there. And and you're going to get to know me in these few days that we're here. Now I I just have tremendous respect for you and your right to choose. And I'm not going to do anything to violate your integrity. I'm not going to try to twist your arm. I'm not going to try to create some kind of a psychological environment. Folk, if you, if you make a move toward God this week, you'll have to do so because the Holy Spirit spoke to you and you really mean business. And I know crowd psychology. You know, you know I've been preaching for over 50 years. I, I know crowd psychology, but I'm not going to do that. Because see, when you use fear tactics and things like that, the commitment only lasts as long as the emotion. That's not what we're after. I believe the truth is that you really have been praying because I've sensed it. Did you know an evangelist can tell if a church is praying or not? You can. And I think you really are hungry... I think some of you have wondered if it can really happen in this context. Oh, yes, it can. I was just in a church last week where God, the Holy Ghost, broke in and changed folks' lives forever and unshackled drug addicts and healed some marriages. And, I mean, God... There is nothing too hard for God. He laughs at impossibilities. And he's no respecter of persons. He would like to do this for you. Could we just could we just open up the riverbed to him and say, Rain. Rain on me. Now it's gonna take some courage. And we have altars here, and I never assume anymore that everybody knows what an altar's for. This is just the place where we talk to God. But you don't come to join this church. You don't come to be baptized. Now, pastor can take care of that in your spiritual journey, but that's not what I'm asking you. This is just the place where we talk to God, and there's no stigma here. There's a welcome mat out for the smallest child or the oldest saint. And you might not even be able to kneel here physically, but you could sit on the front seat. 
But we're going to need courage. So let's just take a moment and pray for each other. Okay? Father God, thank you for this beautiful story nestled there in the Old Testament among all those visions. It's simple, Lord, and yet it's so powerful. You decide where the river will flow. And everything lives where the river flows. And Lord, our, our, our battered and weary hearts are just, we're just hungry for you to come and just pour your spirit out on us. And you know where we all are in our spiritual journey. And Lord, in a service like this, there's, there's always somebody that holds the key to what you'd like to do. And if that, if that person obeys, it just opens a door of mercy and leaves it ajar. Then there are others who can follow. And, and so, would you just turn the searchlight of your love on us? Not, not in condemnation, but, but just to say, let, let me show you what I see. And would you help us to be honest enough about what you see, to seek your face, and just let you reign on our souls, and just pour out your spirit on us. And would you give a special measure of grace to that individual who, who, who could hold the key to what you'd like to do this morning? Call us to yourself and make us hungry to want you we ask it in Jesus name and I I wonder while they're playing just out of this simple message this morning if somebody would say Brother Covington God spoke to me I'd just like an opportunity to pray would would you be man a woman enough to just slip out of that road there where you are and come I'm not going to tarry long Could, could you just be hungry enough to let God start revival with you Already there's been a beautiful spirit of obedience. And I told you that I, that I won't unnecessarily prolong this, and I won't. But, but before I do, I, I want to make an offer to you. If God is nudging you and kind of encouraging you, but it just seems too difficult to come on your own. I want you to turn to somebody and say, would you go with me? I really believe they would. Yeah, just touch them on the arm. And this is not that large a sanctuary. You, you could cross a pew or two. Somebody in front of you, somebody behind you, maybe just standing beside you. And for all you know, God might be speaking to them. And when they realize he's speaking to you too, you could come together. And what a blessing that would be to your heart. I'll just tarry a moment longer, not, not, not too long, because I don't want to... I don't want to weary you. If I did that, I'd grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want to do that. But I don't want you to miss this opportunity to respond to God. He's here. He really is. And so I'm just going to wait a moment and then I'm going to respond to this lady.
Thank you for being such a gracious audience. Do you need to say something to us? No, I just wanted to ask for prayer. Okay. Well, it's bright here. Let's just go right over there, and I'm going to come along that altar and pray. Okay? And if you need to sit there, sit. If you need to go in a moment because of the lateness of the hour, I want you to feel free to do that. If you'd like to help us pray and encourage some of these that are here, I hope some of you would be able to do that. It's just a great thing to kneel by our brothers and sisters in the Lord and just pray. If you'd like to just stay and help us with the atmosphere, would you be seated right there where you are so you can be comfortable? Because what we're doing now is as important as anything we've done all hour. And so I believe the Lord just wants to begin to make the Spirit reign on us. And so let's just be open and and sensitive to the Spirit. And, and, And would you just be prayerful while we... Pray with everybody who's here. Father God, we thank you for the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit. And what a beautiful sight it is here at the front of the church this morning. People seeking your face. And and I know, Lord, that must just Make your heart feel so glad. And every one of them are so precious in your sight. And Lord, you know where they are in their spiritual journey. You know if there's a riverbed there, where there's ever been one or not. And you know whether the water is flowing deep or or if it's just kind of down to trickle or if there's just a lot of trash that's managed to get in there. And and we do the we do the religious things, Lord. We we come to church, we pay, we give offerings, we we read the word. But what we need is is for your spirit to flow fresh and new and deep. And so as they just open up their hearts this morning, you're so faithful. You, you tell us through the prophet Jeremiah, in the day that you search for me with all of your heart, you will find me and you will come and pray to me and I will answer you. Lord, I, be, I believe these people brought their whole heart. No reservations. No pretending that things are better than they really are. We're just allowing you, like the, like David and the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be some wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, our, our lives are desperate and, and people we care about are lost. And, and we desperately need for you to come and bring revival. We need for the water to flow from the throne of God out across this altar and into this sanctuary and out into the streets of Longmont. And so would you just let revival begin this morning? Would you just settle down on us now in that strong and gentle but powerful way as only the Spirit of the living God can? Would you heal our wounds? And would you wash out the rubbish? And would you fill us full again? As David prayed there in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Oh Lord, that would be so appropriate for some of us. We're here and we do the religious things, but 
truth is it's been a long time since there was real joy in all of this. But oh God, you're capable, so capable and so ready to pour your spirit out on your people. And Lord, that one that, that, where there's never ever been a riverbed, and, and they never ever even started the spiritual journey, would you speak? Would you draw them to yourself this week? And would you begin a genuine revival in our heart and in this church? You're, you're the architect. We're the builder. Show us what your plan is for our lives and for this church as a body of believers. You have one, Father God. I know you do. Today we're just making a fresh new commitment with you. To make it more than just a ritual. But to renew a vital relationship. To fall in love with you all over again. To be filled with gratitude for the cleansing of our sins. To make you Lord again of every facet of our life. And to walk. To walk out of this church today in newness of life. Anxious to be your servants. And birth life into others who so desperately need it. Thank you Father God for being here. Thank you for every heart. He's responded so beautifully. Now, would you lift that burden and would you, and would you confirm that there's been this encounter between their trembling heart and your great divine heart? And I pray that you would fill us right now with anticipation of what could possibly take place this week. The lives that could be renewed. The miracles that could happen. The sins that could be forgiven. The chains that could be broken. It's what you said you came to do. And we're inviting you, Lord, to just invade us with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And to have His way. And all that we do. We're going to have an agenda, Lord, but we're just giving you permission to set that aside anytime you want to. And we want you to have your own way. And fill us and mold us and shape us into your image. We ask it all in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ.